Welcome to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill, as always. And Colin, I guess this is really the first week that we're doing this where I'm really going into it feeling like, man, we're really in the depths of the offseason now. Because usually in this podcast, we kind of talk about whatever the news of the past week was. But unless we want to talk about massage therapists, which I really don't, not a whole lot else happening in the world of Ohio State sports right now. There's not. It's it's one of the times, you know, last year we spent the entire offseason on a quote-unquote break because nobody could do anything. And now this is a designed break where nobody is supposed to do anything. And, you know, they're all, you know, players are going to start arriving back to Columbus and they're going to start, you know, going through their normal summer workouts as usual here in the near future. But for right now, from our purposes – Maybe it's it's the off season. We are we are in the depths of it finally. It's definitely less stressful right now than it was at this time a year ago. Aside from those sixteen hours on Wednesday night and Thursday morning where nobody knew what the heck was going on and the message boards were abuzz with rumors that uh major NCAA violations were coming to Ohio State. Uh other than that, uh things have been pretty quiet. So I should probably knock on wood here before I uh I, I jinx that, but it, it, it's been right now. It's been pretty, pretty tame. All right. So we are going to dive deep into the off season topics over the next, what do you might say? Like two months or so. I mean, I, I feel like we can, I, I, you know, there are a lot of ways that, that, that we can, a lot of different topics that we can talk about. Like I'm always fascinated by looking around the big 10, you know, seeing how other programs are being run, seeing, you know, the kind of trajectories and, and how they might affect Ohio state. And I know that we're going to get into, you know, some of that, we haven't talked a lot about Michigan and their new staff. So, so there is a lot of stuff that, that we can still hit, but today I think, you know, you, you had mentioned, you know, talking a little bit about the schedule, talking a little bit about potential college football playoff expansion since, you know, over the past month, it does feel like that there's a little bit more momentum than, than there previously was to get that done. Uh, where do you want to start? Yeah, well, I kind of, you know, opened it up to our listeners for this week and said, hey, you know, if you guys have things you want to hear us talk about, let us know. And uh, two of the topics that were suggested were uh, the schedule and college football playoff expansion. So, uh, we'll start there with those two topics. And I think we can start with taking a look at Ohio State's 2021 schedule. Because, you know, we, we, we mentioned this briefly last week when we were asked about, uh, you know, who would be a sleeper team on the schedule. But I don't think we've really dived into the schedule at all yet. You know, I, I think I don't think we've really, like, actually gone through it and, and talked about the whole schedule yet. So, you know, that's what we're going to do here today is we kind of start – really looking ahead uh, to that 2021 season coming up this fall. And, you know, and I, and I, you know, I think it really is a pretty interesting schedule, especially at the start of it, because there's no warm up game for this team. They're going to go right into a Thursday night game against Minnesota, which, you know, again, obviously Ohio state should be favored against Minnesota, but Minnesota is not a bad team. They're a team. I mean, they've got, a good quarterback in Tanner Morgan. They've got probably the best running back in the Big Ten in Mohamed Ibrahim. They've got one of the best receivers in the Big Ten in, in Chris Ottman Bell. You know, they're a team that's got some talent. And then when you factor in all the different questions about Ohio State, particularly at that quarterback position, I mean, it's going to literally be whichever quarterback wins the competition, that quarterback throwing his first passes in a real college football game and then you've also got all these lingering questions about the defense and what that's going to look like coming off of last year and to me you know I think really since the Virginia Tech game to start the 2015 season where you also had quarterback questions I, I think this is by far the most interesting season opener since then. Yeah, I think it's hard to argue with that. I mean, I might throw was it the the 2017 Indiana, Indiana opener? Yeah, yeah and and then they they followed that up with with going with playing against Oklahoma, which is probably a game that Ohio State fans want to have uh, ripped out of their memory. But this is kind of a similar two game yeah. stretch here. You got a Thursday night and then a big non conference game. Yeah, I, I think it's a little comparable to that. You know, the thing the thing that's interesting to me about this one is it's just like none none of this 
really works in Ohio State's favor. Like you're going on the road, you're playing on a Thursday, you're playing probably under the lights, you're playing with a new quarterback. And like like you said, it's not like Minnesota is this dominant team. Like last year, they were a three and four team. Um, at the same time, they have their quarterback back. They have a lot of returning starters on their team. They do have some talent. If you were to put Minnesota on the schedule and say like, where would Minnesota be the most dangerous? Probably in the season opener on a Thursday night when you're breaking in the new quarterback right before you know that you have to play Oregon. Yeah, I mean it. I mean that, that's what's going to make it so interesting is you go into this season with you know a new quarterback and you know you can't you can't afford to just like work through the kinks here in these first two weeks because you you've got to play two real games here to start this season. So you know that quarterback. He's going to get thrown right into the fire. And I think in those first two weeks of a season, we're going to learn a lot about not just the quarterback, but about this entire team. Yeah, I, I think that that one's great. You know, the the uh, the Oregon game should be tremendous. And, you know, I know that we've we're going to talk a lot about a lot about this one because it's just so hard to predict this one. Like to, to me, what's a, what's great about this one is like you're getting new quarterbacks essentially on, on both sides. And you also have arguably the most talented teams in each of those conferences, you know, just the way that Mario Cristobal is, is recruited um, at Oregon. Like they have potentially the number one pick coming off the edge and Thayer Munford and Nick Petit Frere will be charged with blocking him. Like that's the kind of, that's the kind of game that, that that's for Ohio state in week two. Um, what sort of stands out to you about that one, Dan? Yeah, that is the matchup that really catches my eye is that matchup between Kayvon Thibodeau and then Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit-Rare. Because, I mean, Thibodeau, he's probably going into this year probably the best defensive end prospect we've seen since Chase Young because there was no top defensive end prospect in this past year's draft. So I think that's going to be a really fun matchup to watch because, uh, you know, we know how good Munford and Petit-Rare are, especially as pass blockers. But Thibodeau is going to present a, a kind of test there as an individual defensive end, but I don't know that Ohio State's really seen in the past couple of years. So, you know, that's what stands out. You know, I think, you know, or Oregon, I think Oregon's going to have one of the best defenses that Ohio State's going to face in the regular season. So I think it's going to make for a really good test for Ohio State's quarterback. Because I think, I think Minnesota, that's a game to me where even with the new quarterback, my bigger question going into that season opener is going to be the defense because I think I don't think Minnesota's got a great defense. I don't I don't think Minnesota is going to be much of a match for Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jeremy Rucker. But I do question whether that Ohio State secondary is, is going to be able to stop Minnesota's passing game. I do question you know whether those young linebackers are going to be able to stop Minnesota's run game. So I look at that first game and I I think like the defense is really going to be what's put to the test there but most of that game I look at that second game against Oregon is you know again you've got an elite pass rusher you've got a lot of talented players on that defense that could be like the first really big test for whoever the new quarterback is yeah and if you just look at it like the way the way that we've seen Big Ten teams recruit like Ohio State is really the one that is you know drawing in those kind of five-star defensive players like when you imagine a Chase Young type in the Big Ten, it's basically Ohio State is the team that's getting those guys and developing those guys into Chase Young. Um, that's what Oregon has done with, with Thibodeau. And also, you look around, like Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, like these guys are five-star defensive players that, to be quite honest, like we're just not going to see Ohio State play very much in the Big Ten schedule the rest of the way. If you want to read more about that game, definitely check out 11warriors.com because Andrew Ellis did a good piece just the other day, breaking down some of the matchups that uh, we're going to see in that game on September 11 at noon, which this is a game, again, a few years ago, I think everybody would have expected this game would have been an 8 p.m. kickoff type game. And I don't know, but I'm too surprised uh, that it's at noon. Uh, you know, I this is actually one of those games where, you know, I, I'm typically a guy like, yeah, I love the noon games because like it's easier uh, from our perspective as a media member. But this is actually one of those games that I, I kind of wish we were going to see under the lights, especially considering it's going to be the first time 
there's going to be fans back in Mishu in two years. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to disagree. I mean, from an Ohio State perspective, to be quite honest, like going up against the Pac-12 team that's playing at 9 a.m. their local time, like that probably doesn't hurt. And it's impossible no. to know. It's impossible to know like exactly how much that factors into it. Um, and and yes, like this is just Fox making a business decision. It's not like Ohio State's back there being like, all right, can we get one, you know, increase our odds by two percent by putting this at noon? Like that, that's not happening. But if I were an Oregon fan, I'm probably a little pissed off at that. Yeah, I I would agree with that. That I you know I do think it it benefits Ohio State in that regard. And you know I think regardless. You know, if it's a full shoe like we both think it's going to be, then I think it's going to be an electric atmosphere in Ohio Stadium regardless. But that is one of those games like I was really envisioning, like first time fans back and, and you're playing it under the lights. I think that would have been pretty cool. Hard, hard to disagree. How, how confident do you feel? Like to me, to me, I segment this schedule and, and I wrote this a little bit, just taking it from a quarterback's perspective, um, because I think it's interesting looking at the schedule just from their perspective, whether it be Stroud, Miller, or McCord, um, how it will play out. And and to me, just for them and also for the team, like throw out the first month and a half of the schedule. To me, it's all about the first two weeks and it's whether you can go two and no, because there is a significant um <laughs> it gets significantly easier for the month following this. How confident do you feel that they can go two and oh? I'd say I'm at like 70%. Like, I think Ohio State should go 2-0. I think Ohio State's going to be favored to win both of these games, and I think it should win both of these games. But I definitely think, you know, 1-1 one one is a definite possibility coming out of these two games. I think either of them is losable. I think the Oregon game particularly so. I'm not going to predict right now that I think Ohio State's going to lose either of those games, but I think there's enough questions there where a loss in either one of them would not shock me. Yeah, and if I'm being honest, like if I just look at the rest of the schedule, like if I'm ranking the games that I think are the are – the, like if I'm ranking the highest percentage chance that Ohio State gets beat in a single regular season game, for me personally, Oregon's number one. And then I also I think I, – I think for me personally, I think Minnesota is top four, maybe top three. Um, and, and, and it's, it, you know, part of that's to do with, I think Minnesota's a solid team just right off the jump. The other is you're playing at a weird time and a weird, you're, you know, you're going on the road under the lights, um, and you're going to be breaking in a first year quarterback. And also like, I look at the rest of the big 10 and there aren't a ton of matchups with a ton of teams that I'm saying like, Oh, this is, this is a significantly better team than Minnesota. Um, I just think that the time and the location of that one is, is a little bit, I just think is I just think is generally just dangerous. So let's segue into this. What's number two on your list? What do you think is the number two most losable game for Ohio State? Before I answer that, where would you put Minnesota? I think I'd put it fourth. I think. Okay. But you know, three I, and three and three through five are all like really close for me. I think I think I'd have it three, um, and I think I'd have at Indiana as as number two for me. me and too. a lot of that, a lot of that is just because. Um, I watched Indiana play Ohio State last year. Michael Penix looked like a legitimate deity in that game. Um, and Ty I, Fry Fogel's back too. Ty Fry Fogel's back. They have a lot back on defense. Peyton Hendershot's back. Mike McFadden's back. Like they, they have a good team, and they should be good again, and you're going on the road to face them. Um, so I think that that would probably be be my number two. And I don't think that Minnesota is necessarily the second, the third best team on the schedule. But if I'm ranking these specific games, I would rank Minnesota as the third most difficult game on the schedule or the the third most losable game on the schedule. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you with Indiana. You know, and I, I, you know, as I remember from a year ago, we had this conversation. I was not right there with you with Indiana when you were saying you thought Indiana was the, you know, sleeper team, the dangerous team on the schedule. I was not, but I am now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm buying stock in the Hoosiers. Like, and I'm not saying they should beat Ohio State this year. They should be beating Ohio State for Big Ten East titles. But I'm buying stock in the Hoosiers. Like, you look at what they're doing right now. Like, landing some high-profile transfers starting to ramp up their recruiting. Obviously, their recruiting is still not even in the same stratosphere as where Ohio State is, but seems like Tom Allen's got something cooking there. I think bringing in, uh, you know, Dylan McCullough, obviously that, uh, you know, 
obviously you had the connection uh, with his son, which, you know, landed them their best recruit they have ever had, but it just feels like there's some momentum that's building there. That's real. And then, like you said, I think with the pieces that Indiana is bringing back this year, that to me does is like of all the big 10 games, that's the one I look at is like, that's the one that's most dangerous. Granted, one thing that I think certainly does work in Ohio State's favor is that it does have a bye week before that game. Yep, yep. To, to go back, um, if, if we want to go back um, to go in order a little bit more um, and take us up to the Indiana game, there is a four-game stretch there that is I, – I have to go back and look. It might be the easiest four-game stretch in in years. Um, they, they, they play Tulsa at home. Akron at home, Rutgers on the road, and Maryland at home. And I would say, like, their percentage chance of going 4-0 and right there, I might say it's 100%. Like, I, like my my level of concern about that four-game stretch, to be quite honest, is is just zero. Um, and and I, I don't know. Am I, am I overstating that? I know you like Maryland a little bit more than I do. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to 100 there. I'll I'll go like 90, but the 90 is basically 90% for Maryland. Like yeah, yeah I mean, no. the, the other free the other free are I mean, I'm never I'm never going to put 100% in a game. I'm I'm just not going to go there, but like the other free games that you mentioned there. I mean, Akron is like 99.9% and Tulsa's pretty close to it. Rutgers is too. I mean, those are all games that Ohio State should win easily. Maryland, I, I'd get, I'd put their chance of beating Maryland at like ninety percent. I think they, I think they should, but I also think Maryland has building up enough that you know, especially if Ohio State continues to have issues on the defensive side of the ball this year, I don't necessarily think that game's going to be a walk in the park. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. It's a little too high. Listen, I, I am there with you, but I just want to emphasize how easy of a stretch I think that is. Like Tulsa this year, if they had played Tulsa in 2020, that would have been a fascinating game. Um, I mean, it's not too many times you face an AAC team with the first round pick and Zayvon Collins, but when they're when they're replacing him um, off a six and three team, and you know, obviously there's a, there's another cornerback in the transfer portal right now that would have been made made for an interesting matchup. Um, that's not going to be much of a game, in my opinion. Akron is just an absolute abomination right now. Uh, that might as well just be a bye week. You know, Rutgers, Rutgers in a couple of years, that game might be a little interesting. Uh, but unless Greg Schiano again pulls out, you know, forty-seven trick plays, I imagine. I hope he does one, though, because it makes it a lot more fun. I, I agree. I imagine that one though will probably have a similar score to the Tulsa game. And and then you know, I do undersell Maryland a little bit because I think that I think that there's one aspect of. Of, of this team that if, if Ohio state doesn't, isn't improved from last year, it actually could make it a game. And that's, you know, ta- having a tag of a by Loa as your quarterback, and then having, you know, some solid wide receivers and, and Demas and Rakeem Jarrett, even if you have a bad rushing defense, even if you have, or a bad rushing offense, even if you have a, a subpar defense, we've seen an Ohio state team just last year struggle with, with that kind of team that, that, that can torch them through the air. So this, I agree with you. You know, this is one of those early, earlier season um, tests for 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 the secondary to see if it's made the, the the requisite improvements. Now we talk about two game stretches. You know, I think to me, like there's two two game stretches on the schedule that are, you know, really interesting. It's that Minnesota Oregon to start the year, and then you get to start that second half of the year after the bye week. You go Indiana, Penn State back to back, and to me, you know, we talked about Indiana being the second toughest game for Ohio State or second most losable game, whatever you want to call it. I'm still putting Penn State at number three. I, I don't think Penn State is as good as it was a couple years ago. And so I think the possibility of like Ohio State blowing out Penn State this year, I think that's increased because I, I do think Penn State has, has started to slip on the recruiting trail. And I, and I think they, they're going in the wrong direction right now as a Big Ten contender. But – we, we've still seen these games be – I mean, even last year when Penn State was not a very good team, that was still a competitive game. We, we've seen these games be pretty consistently competitive between these two teams. So that's why I'm putting Penn State at, at number three because, you know, there, there is a history there of those two teams being competitive. And then when you're coming off what I do think is going to be a tough game at Indiana, 
I definitely am not going to chalk that one up as an easy win. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily chalk it up as an easy win. The question that I have um, is, are you really going to lose to Sean Clifford? Like, I no, you you definitely shouldn't. Like, I, I Sean Clifford to me, um, if 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 Penn State actually had a if, if Penn State had a better option, a better younger option, say if Penn State had JJ McCarthy, like to me, this is a prime example of when you would want to have that guy. Uh, going into a game and, and, and test him, even though it's early in his career, because I feel like just at this point, we know who Sean Clifford is. We know what Sean Clifford can do. Um, and, you know, for that reason, it's just hard for me to, to, to see Penn State beating Ohio State. And I think that to, for that to happen, um, like you would have to get a Herculean effort from the rest of the team. And I just wonder if they have enough talent, if they have enough people surrounding him that, that can make that happen. Um, and, and that to me is why I'm a little bit lower on, on Penn state is, you know, it all comes back to the quarterback, which of course is another hard thing about analyzing the schedule because we're talking about eight weeks into a season that we do not yet know who Ohio state's quarterback is going to be and how they're going to play. But Penn state, Sean Clifford, um, I've, I have been more impressed in the past by Penn state in their quarterback situation than I am right now in 2021. When you look ahead to, you know, beyond that, you get to November, you've got three games against Nebraska, Purdue, and Michigan State before you get to that Michigan game. We'll talk about the Michigan game in a minute, in a minute but what do you think about those other three games there in November? Is there anything that jumps out to you at all about those games? No, I think that those three are just imminently winnable games. And they're games that Ohio State should win. It's it's just hard for me to know about Nebraska right now. We're so far into the Scott Frost era. You know, I I, I am certainly not alone in thinking that they would have been significantly further in, in their development as a program under him. Um, and you know, they have Adrian Martinez back. They have a lot of starters from a you know a, a mad defense back. Um, they 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 you know got some guys through the transfer portal who are interesting you know, from USC, from the FCS level, they're sort of looking everywhere. It's just hard for me to know exactly what to expect from, from those, from that team. And then I look at Purdue and, and to me, you know, just what Jeff Brom has, I'm just not expecting much of Purdue. And I'm in the same boat. Um, when I, when I think about Michigan state and, and the fact that to me, it's just a total rebuild there. When you, when you think of the idea that they've lost 20 guys to the portal, they've added 14 through the portal like that, that to me is just, you know, talk, talk, talk to us in, in two years, uh, Mel Tucker, once, once you've gotten the program to the point where, you know, you feel like it can be competitive in the big 10, because, you know, apparently they can beat Michigan last year, but I do not think that uh, they're doing anything other than just generally starting over. Yeah, I think I'm probably a little bit higher on Purdue than you are. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what they are because it's like they did have – they seemed like they had more momentum a couple years ago than they do now. But, you know, I still think they have some pieces. I mean, I think Dave, David Bell is one of the best receivers in the country. Uh, you know, George Perloftis is a really good defensive end. So, you know, they've got some pieces. I don't think they've got the overall, you know, depth of talent where they really should be competitive with Ohio State. But – you know, it's just one of those teams, like there's been enough moments between those two teams over the years, but I just can't, I just don't look at Purdue and go easy win. Like I just, I just, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as, you know, that's a team Ohio State should beat, but if things go wrong, you know, that's still one of those teams to me on, on the schedule that, you know, I, I just don't chalk it up as uh, this is a surefire win for Ohio State. And there's a little bit about Michigan state too, because of their history. I mean, I mostly agree with what you said. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that that is a team that, you know, is in rebuilding mode right now. And, you know, they've got a long way to go to get back to where they were at the peak of the Mark D'Antonio area. But, you know, I also, you know, I look at that. Okay. And say, okay, I mean, that's a game in late November. You know, that's a team at, at that point in the season, you know, these are teams that are going to have had, you know, nine, 10 games under their belt at this point. Uh, to, to, to get better and, and to become whatever they're going to become this year. So we could get to those games in November and go, oh, yeah, this should be a bloodbath for Ohio State because either one of those teams could theoretically be terrible and, and it, could, it could look like a game that should be an absolute bloodbath. But, you know, it's all, I think it's also possible either one of those teams could build up some momentum over the course of a season, get better as the year progresses, and 
maybe look like a dangerous team there in November. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned David Bell, by the way, and that's just sort of, you know, one of the things that you notice when you look at the schedule. I feel like there are a lot of really good wide receivers, and especially some, not necessarily Bell, but some that Ohio State is familiar with and torching them, whether it be Freifogel, whether it be Jahan Dotson, guys like that. Um, if Ohio State's defensive backfield is not ready for this season, this is going to be a, this is going to be significantly more difficult than it should be. Um, and and I look at Seven Banks, I look at the recovery of of Cam Brown, I look at how in the world they're going to fit these bullets together when you. Think about Craig Young, Ronnie Hickman, Court Williams. There's just a lot of guys in the picture. And it's just what we've been saying for months. And, and, and it's the impossible question, that the thing that's unanswerable, unanswerable. Wow, I can't talk right now. Unanswerable about this defense yet is maybe more, so, more important than anything else. And it's just like, how in the world are you going to defend all these guys? And this is a defense that had arguably the worst secondary in Ohio State history in terms of production last year. Um, and you're looking at this schedule and to be honest, like the more you go down, it's like some of these teams might not be great, but some of them, even those not great teams have pretty good wide receivers that are going to test them. Yeah. I think wide receivers, the strongest comp strongest position in the big 10 period. I mean, it, it is loaded at that position to where it's like, you know, it's like, you know, I think to an Ohio state fan, if you say anything other than like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are clearly the two best receivers in the big 10, it's like absolute blasphemy, like total disrespect, but there's a few guys that have a very real argument for that. Like David Bell and Ty Fro Ty Freifogel. That's a tough thing to say. And Jahan Dotson. I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys uh, in this conference who are really good receivers. So like you said, I mean, Hey, there's a lot of people that are confident in seven banks right now. Bet online is giving him odds to be the number one overall NFL draft pick. And that's a whole nother tangent that I'm not going to get into today. But uh, yeah, I mean, to me, I think, you know, the quarterback is what gets the most headlines and it's what people, especially nationally are going to talk about the most going into this season. But like, to me personally, like obviously like, that's a huge thing that can make a break scene. But to me personally, I still have more concerns about the, the pass defense than I do about the quarterback. Like I'm pretty confident whoever wins this starting quarterback competition that with their talent and that with Ryan Day's coaching, that there might be some growing pains, but if that quarterback is ultimately going to be pretty, pretty good because we we've seen it with Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields. I mean, we, we you know, we've seen it that, you know, you, you give Ryan Day a talented quarterback, you know, they, they, he can get these guys up to speed really quickly. So I'm pretty confident that Ohio State's going to have the quarterback it needs and with all the pieces around him, that with just about all of these teams we're talking about, Ohio State is not going to have much trouble scoring on these teams. Whether Ohio State can stop some of these teams, I'm still not that confident in that. I think that I think that's a fair thing to say, and that's why I should probably walk back a little bit of what I say about Maryland, just because I don't know if it's another fifty-two, fifty-one game. Like, could could that potentially happen? Like, if they don't fix this defensive backfield um, situation, then I think it could. Um, I think Ohio State will be better in the secondary. It can't get any worse, and I also think um, what, what, what's noteworthy. You wouldn't think so. What's noteworthy, in my opinion, is I do think that the defensive line will be better at consistently generating pressure from all areas. Um, just because you, you, you know, you look at Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith, who I feel like are going to take step for steps forward. It's hard to know exactly, you know, what they'll what type of production they'll have, but you know, it feels like they're moving in the right direction right now. And the same can be said about Teron Vincent. And you're also bringing back a Haskell Garrett. You have a decent situation at nose tackle. Like to me, there's there to me, I think that Ohio state will have, will be able to generate pressure from the line better. And I think that that'll, that'll additionally help what they have in the secondary. You know what? I really am pretty confident about though, that Ohio state's going to probably blow out Michigan again this year. I do have Michigan and Michigan would be my number five team on most losable games for Ohio State, but after seeing the way those games have gone in past years, I, I just I just don't have much concern for Ohio State that this is going to be the year Jim Harbaugh turns the tables. 
I think it's reasonable. It's hard to know right now because they're just a black box. Like for some reason, they felt like this spring just not releasing any information about what they're doing is going to give them an edge. Which, hey, if that works, congratulations. But playing the spring game in front of zero fans is probably not going to win you a game in October. If it does, I will retract my statements and apologize publicly. But I can't imagine that that's going to happen. You know, it's just hard to know what to make of them right now. Like, I was pretty confident that if Jim Harbaugh had the year that he had last year, he'd be gone. And the fact that he's back, it's hard for me to really figure out what's going on there. I mean, it feels like to me, like if Jim Harbaugh's back, you might as well throw the Hail Mary, which to me is put in J.J. McCarthy, put in your young guys, just see what you got and roll them out there and try to try to bring Michigan back. And instead, it's like it feels like Cade McNamara right now who threw for 425 yards and lit up Rutgers last year is the man to to beat the quarterback right now. And they lost their co-defensive coordinator after the spring. They've lost numerous guys in the transfer portal. It feels like that they're, you know, remaking everything on on, on that defensive side of the ball. And it's like, since they're a black box, it's hard for me to know specifically what to expect out of them right now. Um, but I don't know. Nothing that Jim Harbaugh has done over the past uh, however many years he's been there now has made me feel confident that that this sort of reboot of, of, of Michigan is going to lead to significantly different results. I feel like Cade McNamara, that first game against Washington, he's going to throw for like 400 yards, four touchdowns. David Portnoy will be tweeting about how he's better than Trevor Lawrence. And then by October – there'll be questions about whether he should even be the starter and Michigan will lose to somebody it shouldn't lose to. And if that's the way past seasons are gone, that seems to be the trend that will follow here. Yeah. They're in a, I mean, I, I do think it's worth just exploring deeper in another podcast, what to expect out of them, but they're just in a weird spot. Like it feels like, you know, they brought back Jim Harbaugh on a deal that is incredibly Michigan friendly um, with a lot of incentives on, on what to do but I just don't know what they want out of him. Like, would they be okay if he goes nine and three, would they bring him back? Or like, does he have to go 10 and two? Does he have to be competitive with Ohio state? I don't exactly know what Michigan wants. And the fact that they're very secretive about that. And Jim Harbaugh is just very secretive in what he does. Like, I I don't know. I I don't know. And they've done nothing again. They've just, I haven't seen anything to that, that would make me feel like I should give them the benefit of the doubt. I just know that two years of waiting for that game, to me, I think there's going to be more bad blood between the two teams going into that game than there's ever been before. Yeah, and that uh, that will be thrilling. <laughs> there's never a bad Ohio State-Michigan game, and, and I can't imagine that this one, this one would fall under that category. Well, you said Michigan, maybe they'll be okay with 9-3. and three. I know Ohio State fans are not going to be okay with 9-3 and three or even – 10 and two <laughs> uh, question is Colin, what would be your record prediction for this team right now? How do you think that this team gets through the regular season? Yeah, it's, it's so hard to know because one, we're not a hundred percent sure what this quarterback situation is going to be. Even the running back situation. Like, I don't know, like, do they have a star there? Do they not have a star? I don't exactly know on that. And then the defensive side of the ball, we just have so many questions about the defensive backfield that won't be answered until September actually hits. So I think that, I think that predicting what this team will do is really hard. I fall back on 11 and one. I sort of want to predict 12 and zero because I look at the schedule and I see, I only see a few games that I peg as just like, I think that they could lose this game rather than like, yeah, if everything goes crazy, they could lose this game. Um, I only see a few of those. So part of me wants to say 12 and 0 because they're going to be the most talented team on the field in, in all 12 of these games. But I am just going to go with 11 and 1 right now because of the question marks that I have both at quarterback um, and in the secondary. It's funny because I feel like we've had this same conversation for years in a row where we go through a schedule and like we, there's every game we think Ohio State should win. Yep. But then we always go back to eleven and one because it's like they got to lose at some point, right? And the last two <laughs> years, the last two years, it hasn't happened. So, like when I put that logic together in my head, I go, I should probably pick them to go twelve and zero. But I'm going to pick eleven and one again because I feel like at some point Ryan Day is going to lose a regular season game. He 
doesn't have Justin Fields this year. And as talented as I think these quarterbacks are, I also know that Justin Fields is special. And so you're probably going to take a step back at the quarterback position this year. Doesn't mean you won't have a great quarterback, but Justin Fields is on a different level. And I, and I do, I, I, I do still have concerns about that defense to where, you know, I think there, I, I, I think, you know, we could absolutely see, you know, some games that are shootouts this year. And, you know, sometimes those don't go your way. So I'm going to go for 11 and one. I cannot, I'm not going to predict who that one is because I do think that on paper, Ohio state should win every game, but I am going to fall back on that 11 and one of just, you know, I feel like this team does have some question marks and at some point a loss should come. Yeah. I mean, Justin Fields was like a get out of the jail free card the past two years. It's like, he didn't actually have to play that great everywhere else. If you had Justin Fields. And that's the thing, like in 2019, that was one of the most unbelievable regular season performances in Ohio state history. In my opinion, like that team was, that team was historic. And I, and I think it should be talked about as such. Like if you just look at the talent on that roster and how it played throughout the year, like that, that team was unbelievable. Um, I don't think just team wise, Ohio state will be as good as it was in, in, in 2019. And I think in 2020, if you're just comparing them, like one team had Justin Fields, one team didn't. So I don't, uh, that 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 just in and of itself just makes me feel a little bit more uncomfortable with with picking them to go undefeated. But also, it's like I don't know, like they figure out a way to seemingly every single year. And I only look at like a Minnesota, a, an Oregon, and an Indiana as the teams that I look at and say like, yeah, they might lose those games, and they might just be the worst team on the field in those three games. And I look at it basically every other game and say like, they're going to be ramped up for Michigan. Like me personally, I know you feel a little bit differently than this. I don't think that they're going to lose to Penn state. Um, And then I look at the rest of the schedule and it's like, yeah, sure. If the secondary gives up 500 yards to Maryland, I guess maybe they could lose. Or if, you know, I don't know. I I honestly don't. I look at the rest of the schedule and say, I don't think they're going to lose any of these other games. Um, So just just given the fact that I think there are so few opportunities to lose, I maybe should pick 12 and 0, but I pick 11 and 1 just because it's hard for me to have, it's hard for me to feel 100% confident in what they have given that I haven't seen their quarterback and, and their new look secondary. The other topic that we were asked to talk about this week was college football playoff expansion because it does feel like there's more and more momentum building here for, toward expanding the playoffs and to me that's a good thing do you agree probably i think uh, you know i i honestly this is one of those things i don't feel 100 percent strongly about either way and it's such a it's such a topic of conversation it's like i i i understand all the perspectives i think in general a playoff is significantly better than the old system um, I don't honestly feel total. I, I don't feel strongly about four versus eight versus more than that. I think that my strongest opinion is I think it shouldn't be more than eight. I think eight is as much as it should be. I understand the cases for you know, like a 12 and a 16. Um, and who knows? Maybe, maybe it gets there eventually. I don't think that that's the next move. I think that the next move will be to put it at eight. Um, and I think that eight is perfectly fine. I think four is fine. I think eight is fine. What is your biggest hangup with expansion in, in terms, you know, you said you, you don't, you think probably like what is the biggest thing that would make you question whether expansion is the right move? Really just the, how much everything else outside of the playoff is devalued. And obviously bowls are, are, are devalued right now. And like, that's fine. I'm a West Virginia fan. If whatever bowl that West Virginia plays in is devalued, like that's perfectly fine. Cause like for West Virginia's purposes, like that's just another interesting game against an interesting opponent. Like I do wonder if you get to a certain point where it's like, like for an, from Ohio state perspective, to be quite honest, if they play, if there's an eight team playoff and unless Ohio state just stops recruiting the way Ohio state does, and it can't produce any quarterbacks. Like I think Ohio state just in every single year. And it's like, is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. Um, but I think Ohio State's in basically every single year. Um, and I just look at it from an Ohio State perspective, and I think, like, is that – like, I don't know. Like, would that make some of the regular season just not interesting at all, knowing that you're probably going to – you 
you know, run through the entire schedule losing zero or one times. And regardless of whether it's zero or one, you're going to make the playoff. And even if it's two, you have a chance of making the playoff. Because if you look at it, like since the playoff is, was implemented in 2014, if you extend it to eight, like Ohio State's been in the top eight every single year. If, if we think about the pros and cons of it for, you know, from Ohio State's perspective and, you know, I guess, you know, you could go it larger in terms of, you know, what's good for the sport off of that. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I do think that if you expand the playoff, it's going to be, you know, significantly easier for a team like Ohio State to get in because like we're talking, you know, we just talked about this schedule, like, you know, you can lose if you, you know, if, if this becomes an eight team playoff, like a team like Ohio State, you know, they can lose a game. And I don't think they'd really be in any jeopardy still of, of missing the playoffs. So it does become a, a little bit, you know, easier for a team like Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson, you know, the, these teams that are always in it, you know, it makes it even easier for them to get in. But I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Um, a couple reasons for that. You know, for one, like, there's a part of me that thinks it would be a more enjoyable season for Ohio State fans if the playoff was expanded because I think Ohio State fans just now live in just perpetual fear of that one loss that will that will end their playoff chances uh, because everything is just so geared toward the playoffs these days. And to me, I think if you if you added a little bit more flexibility to the process, I think that could allow Ohio State fans. Uh, to, you know, maybe enjoy the season a little bit more. So, you know, when, you know, when I hear like the stuff about like, oh, you know, the, the ruining the sanctity of the season, if you expand it, I, I don't really buy that argument. Cause I, I just, I just don't think that, you know, I think what the current playoff field is doing now is I think it's lessening the interest of everyone outside of a few select fan bases, because I think, you know, I, I think, you know, the other bowl games have been so devalued now that it's like if you're not in a playoff race, like everything else feels like a total consolation prize. So I think if you expand the field and get more teams into that conversation, I think that's certainly a net positive for the sport. And to me, it, it you know, it, sure, maybe it takes a little bit of a drama out of you know the regular season I, I still don't think it's that much because i think especially if you put in automatic bids here and maybe you know let's say you do an eight team field with you know automatic bids for the power five teams and then you know a top group of five team you know that only leaves you two at large spots so you're still not going to have a whole lot of margin for error here uh for for teams that are, are going to want to make the playoffs and i would you know to me i do think eight is the best field size. I, I'm not necessarily opposed to the idea of, you know, 12 or 16 or whatever. Uh, I do. Eight is the one that I think makes the most sense to me, but I'm open to other ideas. But, you know, to me, I think if you make it eight, you know, I still think you're not giving teams that much margin for error where like it's going to totally devalue the regular season or anything like that. And then I think, you know, you get into the playoff, you know, Naturally, if you expand the playoff, it's going to mean that any team that wins the national championship is going to have to play more games against top teams to ultimately win the national championship. So sure, it might make it easier for a team like Ohio State to make the playoff, but it doesn't make it easier for Ohio State to win the championship because now they're going to have to play another game against a team it's almost certainly going to be better than the majority of teams they played during the regular season. I do think there's one positive to expanding the playoff that I like. It's just like a personal favorite of mine is that like, I do think if the playoff is expanded, you'll see better non-conference games Yep, and you'll see fewer Ohio state Tulsa and Akron games. Um, and, and, you know, I think the prime example is like, if you just look at the games that Alabama has scheduled and I know that everybody in Columbus likes to crush Alabama for playing 
whichever team they decide to play in November that's um, from a terrible conference and beat them 74 to, to nothing. Um, but if you look at their future schedules, like in 2025, they play Florida State and Wisconsin. 2026, they play Florida State and West Virginia. 2027, Ohio State and West Virginia. 2028, Notre Dame, Ohio State. And I think that a lot of that is due to the fact that, you know, they think that playoff expansion is coming. Um, and I think you've seen Ohio State ramp up some of the scheduling that it's doing in the future when you consider, you know, Texas, Alabama, Georgia are all on the schedule. Um, so I think if, if that is a is a change that happens in part because of playoff expansion, like personally, I love I love that in particular. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, ideally an expanded playoff. You can reward teams more for big wins and for tough schedules. I think right now it's so driven by, you know, who has the least losses, who has the least blemishes on on their record. And it kind of has to be when you're talking about only four teams, you know, you you have to reward the teams that are, you know, undefeated or only have one loss and you're still going to continue to do that. But I think, you know, if you get, you know, you get into it with an expanded playoff. Okay. Now you might be starting to debate teams that have two losses who have never made the playoff yet. And I think that's where, you know, you can see the rewards of, okay, if a team really has a strong schedule, if they have those big non-conference wins, I think those conversations could start to come into play more like we see in say the basketball tournament. And you know, again, I mean, to me, I don't think eight teams is going to drastically change anything really, because it's still a a very small group of teams. But I think to give teams more incentive to play tougher non-conference games, like you said, and to give everybody a place in this conversation, you know, meaning both, you know, I do think that all, all five power five conference champions should get an automatic bid in an eight team playoff. And I do think that a group of five teams should be included in the eight team playoff because right now there's basically no avenue for a group of five team to ever win a national championship. So to me, you've either got to expand the playoff and you got to include those teams in it, or those teams need to go off and make their own playoff because right now they just don't have a chance uh, to compete for the biggest prize in the sport. So I think ideally an expanded playoff is going to give those teams a seat at the table. Yeah, and I know we've talked about this before. I, I I certainly wouldn't do the automatic group of five thing because I just think that some years they deserve it, and some years there's just not a team that I feel like deserves to be in the in the top eight group if it, if it were eight. Um, I understand. The I feel like a lot of that, a lot of people who want that, is it spurred by the frustration that college football playoff committee has not given them their perceived deserve deserved respect. And I think that I do think that the questions need to be asked about um, should, should the college football playoff committee rank them higher? I don't necessarily know that giving them an automatic bid every single year would, would be my perfect solution. You know, one entity that I think it would be, re- I think it would be helpful for is the big 10. I mean, if you look from 2014 to up until this past year, there were multiple Big Ten teams within the top eight every single year. And this past year was the only year that there weren't. And it was because the Big Ten played a shortened schedule and Michigan and Penn State were atrocious. So it's like, who else are you going to put in there? But, and Indiana got no respect. Yes, and Indiana got no respect. Um, apologies to the Hoosiers. Uh, if if there is an 18 playoff, like I do think you will see significantly more years where the Big Ten gets multiple teams in. Obviously, the question there is, do you always want that extra team in or is that extra team walking into a, a, a land where they would get um, blown up by uh, an Alabama or a Clemson? Because to be quite honest, like sometimes I do wonder if, if that's what will happen whenever this playoff expansion happens, which I think is, is inevitable. Some of those lower teams um, just not faring very well against the, the upper tier college football playoff. Team. It's already happening though. I mean, if you look at the semifinals, like most of the semifinal games have been blowout. Yeah, But, so but like, to me, it's like, it doesn't, isn't that a, doesn't that argument work against the expansion of college football playoff or work against the argument for college football playoff expansion? Because like, do you want more teams in there? If it's so clear that there's always an upper echelon of one, two or three teams that are the, the very, very best. I think you could spin that either way, to be honest. I mean, I, I think that's a fair argument. 
But from my perspective, from a fan's perspective and looking at this beyond Ohio State and just for the, you know, the whole of the sport, to me, the biggest thing is you want to give more teams something to play for. Because I, I think right, right now, you know, again, I mean, if, if you talk to anyone who's a fan of a team other than Ohio State, Alabama, or Clemson, they're sick of seeing the same teams in this thing every year. So to me, if you give more teams a chance to be a part of it, that's a that's a net positive for the sport. And I do think I do think we could be surprised. I mean, I, I mean I I think it's fair to say that, you know, those upper echelon teams, you know, that might not change. I mean, I think you could still you could have an eight team playoff and you're still a lot of years you're gonna see Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson all playing in the semifinals and they might blow up their phones. And that might be an argument toward a six team playoff or a ten team playoff or whatnot. I mean that that's probably why those models are being considered is maybe you don't want those real top tier teams playing in the first round because maybe you can have more competitive games in those early rounds if you don't have those teams be a part of it. So I think, you know, that's probably why there's so many different models being discussed. But to me, you want to give more teams something to play for. And then ultimately the reason why this is going to happen beyond everything else we've talked about is that it's going to make everybody more money. Yeah, obviously it always comes back to that. I mean, it's, it's, it's yes, unavoidable. It does. <laughs> and I hope that they come to the conclusion that the most money will be made if the college, if the first round games happen at, happen at, you know, home stadiums, because that would, Me too. those would, Me those too. would be thrilling. And you know, if that were to happen, like, yeah, like I would probably be a proponent of an 18 playoff. It's just like, I don't exactly know how this is going to look. And and I'm there, there have been minimal details that have come out. It's just like, we are again and again, they've released something that basically says we are considering all these plans, um, which, you know, congratulations. I would certainly hope that you're doing that. Um, but it's hard for me to say that they've gained um, a lot of my trust and that they'll do it the way that most college football fans will, will want it to be played. And going back to the blowout argument, you know, you, I do think that there's something to be said, like, for both arguments, like one is like, yes, the blowouts probably will happen. The other aspect is like in a lot of sports blowouts happen. It's still cool to make the field. Like if West Virginia made the field and kept it competitive against Alabama for three and a half quarters, that would be awesome. And I say it like, and I say that knowing that if West Virginia ever makes the playoff, it will probably be one and done, (laughs) but it would still be cool. So, So I understand that perspective. And I think, you know, you think like that NCAA tournament feel like everybody's going to be rooting for that eight seed who's going against Alabama or that seven seed who's going against Ohio State. It might not happen, but to me, I think it only takes it only takes it happening one time to really create a mystique around that. I mean, I still think of, you know, some of the, you know, upsets that, you know, happened in the past when I think some of the other bowl games were a bigger deal like you know, like when Boise State won or like, uh, you know, Utah beating Alabama, like those were games like that was a big deal at the time. I think now those other bowl games have kind of just fallen to a back burner to where people don't care as much. But I think if you could introduce some of that element into the playoff, even if it only happens once a year or once every couple of years, I think it would add a different layer of intrigue to what we're seeing now. Yeah, and I I also do wonder if it goes beyond eight, like how just how many games you want these guys playing. Like, yes, I, I feel like that's just a con- that that's that's always lingers in the background. But once you get to like three round a three round playoff, like I do think it's it's worth discussing that a little bit more. Absolutely, I I think my guess is it's going to be an eight team playoff is going to be at least the next step for this thing. I, I think you I think you can make it an eight team playoff and add one more game without needing to make major changes. I think if, I think if you got to 16 at that point, you'd really have to talk about shortening the regular season. And I think it's possible that conversation even comes up with an 18 playoff of, of maybe, you know, maybe you, you know, cut a regular season game or maybe you, you know, do up a big 10, at least tried to do last year with a, you know, championship game weekend where, you know, everybody plays a game that weekend so that you can still have a conference championship game, which I don't, I know some people think just get rid of a conference championship games. I don't think those are going away because 
I think there's going to be automatic bids when this thing expands. And I think you have to have a conference championship game to determine who the champions are of your conference. So I, I don't think those are going anywhere, but I, I do think the possibility of taking something out of the existing schedule is a possibility of expansion. I think with eight, a compromise is probably going to be made where they're not going to have to shorten the schedule and they can add that one more game. But I do think if you get to teams playing four games in the playoffs, then you would have to really have some conversation about that. And I think there'd absolutely be some significant pushback to the idea of, you know, players playing 17 games in a college football season. All right. We're going to end this with one last Ohio state football centric question from Landon Trucked Collins. Uh, do you have any new intel you can share on how the QB and R battles are looking to shake up, which QB and RB battles are looking to shake out, which is uh, not really since nobody's been on campus in the past month. But uh, if no new intel, can you offer a measured opinion on how things will look in 2021, especially at running back where it looks incredibly enticing? Will, will Master Teague have the starting role the whole year? Will he begin the year as the starter and be eventually overtaken by Travion? Any insight you are willing to provide is appreciated. Dan? You know, do you want to start out on quarterback or running back? I feel like quarterback can be a very quick discussion. Yeah, I mean, I think with quarterback, I think nothing's changed. I mean, I think it's it's the same conversation we've already had five times on this podcast this offseason and we'll probably continue to have again until a starter is named in August or September. And that's that, you know, the competition's ongoing. Uh, we think C.J. Stroud is the front runner. I don't think, again, guys haven't even done camps in the past month. So I think whatever things stood at the end of the spring – that's still where they stand now. I don't think the competition is over. I still think, you know, at least those first couple weeks of uh, preseason camp, that there is going to be a competition. But, you know, I think, you know, CJ Stroud is probably the front runner at this point. And it's just going to be a matter of in August, can one of those other guys really make a run to where they really make a case for themselves that they're the best quarterback on the team? Yep. There would be zero surprise if CJ Stroud wins it. You know, some decent surprise if Kyle McCord wins it, and I would be blown away if Jack Miller wins it. So I think that uh, nothing has changed. But at running back, running back is a fascinating conversation because I just don't know where it's going to go. And it feels like they have several options, and one is, like, they just have a high-floor guy in Master Teague where it's like if nobody else is the kind of guy who I think that they're going to be, then I think Master Teague will get a lot of the carries. And the real question I have is, are, are the other guys good enough that you're just going to have to take Master Teague off the field? And, and when I think about that, I'm mainly talking about Mayan Williams and Trayvon Henderson. Yeah, I think it's possible. I, I really do. I mean, I, I, to me, I, I, I do think that's probably the most interesting position battle going into the summer because I really do. I really think there's any possibility of those three running backs that were named. I think those guys could theoretically be in any order – one through three on the depth chart. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to be, it's really going to be interesting. I mean, I think, I think much like quarterback, I don't think they're going to tell us much about the depth chart until, you know, that first game. And I think we're just going to kind of have to see how it plays out. But, you know, I mean, I'd say this, if Travion Henderson runs out onto the field for the first snap against Minnesota, that would surprise me if they just, you know, unless Mayan Williams and Master Teague are both hurt, like happened with Mike Weber in 2017, I'd be surprised if they just threw Travion Henderson out there as the starter. Now, if Travion Henderson gets half the snaps. Would that shock me? Not at all. But I, I think either Master Teague or Mayan Williams is going to be the guy that runs out there as the starter. And I think there's a chance it's going to be Mayan Williams. I mean, he was taking all the first team reps this spring. Master Teague was dealing with something. I'm not sure exactly what, but. I do think it's possible that, you know, Mayan Williams is the guy that they give him that starting job and, you know, Master Teague, you know, falls into a, a backup role. And, you know, I, I'd say the one thing I think would really surprise me is if, you know, the first couple of games of the season, if Master Teague's not out there at all, I, I think he's going to have some place in the rotation. My feeling is it's going to be a three man rotation to start the season that, all three of those guys are going to get some share of carries and then, you know, we'll see how it unfolds over the course of a year. I mean, I don't think the best thing for Ohio state 
would be to give each of those guys a third of the carries all season long. I think at some point in the season, they're going to have to narrow things down to their two best guys. But I wouldn't be surprised, you know, especially early in the season. And again, it's this is where the schedule gets interesting because it's like those first two games, you have to make some confident decisions about who your best players are. Games three through six, you're going to be able to experiment and play a lot of guys. But those first two games, you can't really mess around with your depth chart. And so to me, the big question really does become like, how willing will they be to send Master Teague to the bench if the other guys are better? <laughs> I think that's the question a lot of fans have. I think it's a the concern a lot of fans have is that Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson might both be better right now, but Ohio State still might lean on Master Teague. Personally, that's what I'm wondering too. And and it's just because I've seen Tony Alford lean on guys who um like he lean on Mike Weber a little bit more than I thought he should have when he had J.K. Dobbins, who was better than Mike Weber. Um, and also the fact that Master Teague is a guy who, by all accounts, does everything right, is a freak in the weight room, kills it in the offseason, he's the oldest guy in the room. So it's like you're going to sit that guy for a freshman in week one or week two or for Mayan Williams, who's, you know, I think he rushed for fewer than 100 yards as, as a true freshman. Um, like that, that's a deci- that's a big decision to make. And I also think, it, like you said, I was going to bring up the schedule. If you didn't, the schedule is really important because – you're breaking in a first-year starting quarterback. So to me, my wonder would be like, how much Travion Henderson do you want out there when you are also putting in a first-year starting quarterback against Minnesota and Oregon? And then like, also like how dynamic do you need to be there? Like, do you need a Mayan Williams shiftiness or do you need the athleticism of Travion Henderson? Or will you be okay getting by with Master Teague, who I think generally everybody thinks is solid, probably also unspectacular. Um, like what are you looking for there in those week one, week two games and how much can you rely on Travion Henderson? Cause I do think it's, it's hard for us right here to sit here in May and predict what it's going to look, what the rotation will look like in October and November. I think that's really hard to do because it's basically going to be who plays best. Like I, I wouldn't have predicted what happened last year. Cause I had no idea that Matt, Trey Sermon was going to be bad for five games, then turn into the best running back in Ohio state football history for the last couple that he played like nobody can predict that it's just like at the beginning of the season I'm right there with you I don't I don't know how much they're going to rely on master versus the other and that's an important decision to make yeah I think those are really good points that you made you know it definitely wouldn't surprise me if you know especially those first couple games if we really only see Travion Anderson a little bit and we see mostly some combination of master and Mayan because those are guys that have already played in big games that, you know, they, they're not true freshmen, but they probably have a little bit more trust in. So I wouldn't, I I really do believe that there's going to be something in the offense there for Travion Henderson right away. I don't know exactly what's going to be, but I think there's going to be something in there for Travion right away. Cause I think he's too talented for there not to be. But I think I would I would probably lean toward because of what you s- said that it's going to be some combination of Master and Mayan getting most of a work in those first two games, and then I think you get into that next stretch of games where you know really they should be four games that Ohio State wins comfortably, and I think in that stretch, then if Travion can really start to take off then you could get into the point where in that second half of a season, you know, he really gets to the point where he's proven that he's too good not to be on the field a lot. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that progresses over the course of a season. And if they rely more heavily on some combination of master and Mayan to start the year. Yeah. I think there are a couple of certainties. Like one certainty is master Teague is solid. Like, that's just certain. Like, he's solid. He has a high floor. Uh, the other certainty is, like, Trayvon Henderson is dynamic and will be really, really good at some point. We just don't know when, but it's certain in our minds that he's going to be good. It's just a matter of when. The question, Mark, I have is I don't really have any certainties about Mayan Williams. Like, Mayan Williams is just – he was fun to watch last year. And how that translates to actually potentially being a number one running back or getting, you know, being a rotational back, 
I don't really know. Like, I think he's the wild card. I think I called him the wild card back in February, and it's May. I haven't really changed my mind on that. I don't really know what to expect from him. But the fact that, to be honest, the fact he went first in drills, the fact throughout the spring he was a guy that clearly had Tony Alford's trust. Like, if I were sitting here in May projecting who, after the first two weeks, is going to have the most carries on the team, I think I'd give the best odds to Mayan Williams. I think I would, too. I think I would, too. I really do believe but Mayan love is real. Like I really do. I really do think that they really like what they've seen in him. I think, you know, the point I made when this came up a few weeks ago, and I would make this point again, is I do think a lot of this is going to come down to how good do these guys pass block and do they trust these guys not to fumble the ball? I think that's going to be huge, especially for Mayan and Travion because we haven't seen them play as much. Is You, know, you mentioned it, breaking in a first-year quarterback – going into two big games to start the season. They're not going to want a guy out there that they're not confident is going to be able to be solid and execute their assignment. So I think that's the question. I think if if, if they really feel confident that, you know, Mayan and Travion can handle that and they're also performing really well, making plays in practice, I think it's possible that either or both of those guys could usurp Master Teague but I think if they're not 100% confident in those guys in those situations, then they could be more inclined to lean on master. I'm thrilled we got all the way through the podcast without having to pause because there are roofers replacing the roof over my head right now, and it never got to a noise level that made me have to go find somewhere else to be. We made it. We made it. We made it Against through all odds. a – a very off-season version of Real Pod Wednesdays, but I think we had a good conversation. So, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to have a special first-time guest on next week's Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, you guys will see who that is next week. But uh, very excited about that. I know we're going to get some great insight on Ohio State sports on next week's show. So, uh, be sure to tune in next week. Uh, hope you all enjoy it, and we'll talk to you then.